Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by PSENG, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future. The Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey. University Hospital. One goal, one passion. Every patient, every time. Prudential Financial. Summit Health, a provider of primary, specialty, and urgent care. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. Here when you need us most, now and always. New Jersey Sharing Network. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And by Rutgers University, Newark. Promotional support provided by NJ Biz, providing business news for New Jersey for more than 30 years, online, in print, and in person. And by CIANJ and Commerce Magazine. I'm Steve Arbato. This is Think Tank. That is Nicole Swinerton, our co-host and executive producer. Nicole, let's talk about this show today. Um, we have one segment, a very, really important segment on autism and its connection to COVID or the other way around. And the other one on the back end, I'm going to tell folks about a really important historical interview about the late, great United States Congressman Donald Payne and his, his son tells that story, and his son, Donald Payne, is a member of Congress right now. Let's talk about autism first, Nicole. Sure. So we start out with uh, being joined by Michelle Adubato, CEO of the North Ward Center and also the founder of the Center for Autism. My also, sister? Yes. That's and not also, a title. That just happens to be a fact. Go ahead. It's still a title. Then we have Suzanne Buchanan, Executive Director of Autism New Jersey, and Nadine wright Arbubakar, who's the head of Nason's Place. And they, all three of them talk all about the impact that COVID has had on the autism community and what that community really needs um, support-wise moving forward. And by the way, N Nadine talks about Nassan's place. Nassan is her son, who I believe is 16. I'm, I'm, I think that's right. Uh, check that out. And on the back end, United States Congressman Donald Payne is with us, and he talks about his father, United States Congressman, the late Congressman Donald Payne. And as a kid growing up in Newark, Donald Payne was a giant. He replaced United States Congressman Peter Rodino. Donald Payne was the first United States congressman of color, first black congressman in New Jersey. Not just a state and a national leader, but international. Work in Africa was extraordinary. So on the back end of this think tank program, it's Donald Payne, the congressman, talking about his dad, the seat that uh, he took over when his dad passed. So that's Nicole. I'm Steve. Nicole, do we, do we talk about the funders or real quick? We'll thank our funders real quick. We'd love to thank the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, University Hospital, PSENG, and Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. Well said. Nicole, Steve, Think Tank, check it out. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. We're going to have a compelling, important, and very relevant conversation about autism, the autism community, and the impact of COVID. We're honored to be joined by Michelle Adubato, is the CEO of the Northwood Center and the founder of the Center for Autism, and yes, my sister. Michelle Adubato. Dr. Suzanne Buchanan, not my sister. She's the executive director of Autism New Jersey. And finally, Nadine Wright Arbubacher, who is the founder and president of Nissan's Place. I want to thank you all 
for joining us. Michelle, let's jump right into this. You have been dealing with the autism community for over two decades, correct? Yeah, close to three. Believe Put this in perspective. The greatest challenge or challenges facing the autism community since March of 2020 are? First of all, let's just go back for just a second. And then we'll talk about the challenge because the number one thing that happened to our autism community is that we were shut down. And in an instant, peoples whose lives were based in routine and structure just went away. The mental health impact of that and the physical impact of that and just moving around was extraordinary for our community of people with autism. So one of the challenges, I think the greatest challenge is, you know, how have we navigated that? you know, in our community, because many of our community programs have been shut down, rightly so, um, by the state of New Jersey, because it's just too uh, dangerous to open. We're changing that now. So I think that the major challenge has been, uh, how do we reopen? And how do we bring back that daily routine that is so important for our community of people with autism? Nadine, let me ask you this. Uh, Nassan's place, You've been with us before. Make it clear, put in context, Nassan. Nassan's life as Michelle. Hello, Michelle. Nassan's your son. He's my son. His life, as Michelle said, was turned upside down. Children were taken out of their routine. Regression started to happen. It was very um, challenging to get him back into some type of routine, being home and not being able to get up in the morning, go to the bus or his transportation, go to school and come home. It, it was very challenging and it continues to be even more challenging um, for a lot of our families um, as we continue to cope and deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. Susan, you know what's interesting to me? I mean, we're taping this on the 22nd of April, it'll be seen after, I mean, 14 months plus into this pandemic, I don't remember one compelling, detailed, substantive, long-form news report on the impact of COVID on the autism community. We in the media have fallen woefully short, have we not? You know, I think there's been some coverage and it's been very- Not enough. No, not, not enough, not enough, but there, there have been some reports. And I think it's, it's also a symptom of the pandemic itself, where we all kind of mentally and physically went into a lockdown survival mode. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, people with disabilities, especially those with intellectual disabilities, you know, sometimes go into the shadows in those times. And that's what's happened here. I, I think the number one concern, obviously, for everyone, but particularly for people with autism, has been health and safety. Because many individuals with autism and intellectual disability don't understand what a virus is. They don't understand the risks. They still might not wear masks. They still may touch their face and touch other people and stand too close. And so the things that you know we all picked up pretty quickly have taken months, if not, you know, some individuals still haven't learned these things. So there, you know, obviously greater risk for COVID infection because of the, um, you know, the kind of the educational and day program type structures that they need, where they need individuals close to them, um, sometimes for physical prompting to get through activities. Um, they're just at much greater risk overall. So Michelle, help us on this, because those of us who have children who are not on the autism spectrum, listen to our kids talk about how challenging it is to quote, learn remotely, teachers teaching remotely. 
what are the challenges facing those on the autism spectrum of a certain age who are in school, quote unquote, learning remotely? Well, I don't think that it goes into just one category because I've heard varying stories. Yes. I'll give you an example. My grandson, who's um, gonna, four years old, who's diagnosed at, at two, uh, mild autism. Um, forget it <laughs> with virtual. We tried virtual preschool and he's like, I'm not having it. So we were able to do some other things for him. I think the younger the and the more um, uh, advanced autism is, I think it's uh, more of a struggle. I have heard from other parents, uh, from uh, people falling on the Asperger's end of autism that said, this has been their greatest year. How about that? Really? Yeah, it was because, because it was one-on-one -on -one attention and there was no socialization. How about, so like they didn't have to be, you know, looking at, you know, who's looking at me, who's, I'm not being played with in the recess time and all those other things went out the window. Now I'm not saying that that's the overriding story, but I don't think it can be really put just into one category. There are but different overall, experiences. I would say it's been very difficult for everyone. Um, and, but I don't think it was a complete number one, like it didn't work, but right. certainly it's not the solution. We but need Nadine, to let me ask you. in person. Nadine, let me ask you, for Nassan, be more specific. What has it been like? He wasn't how having it, Nassan? just like Michelle's grandson wasn't having it. Um, how old is Nassan? Nassan is 16 years old. Okay. He's nonverbal. Um, Nassan is on the lower end of the autism spectrum. So he's not that kid that understands ABC123. So it was a huge challenge and it did not work for us. And it's not a one size fit all where some families it works for and some kids it don't. I mean, I got calls from some of our families that the kids were throwing the Chromebooks because they felt like they were being forced to sit in front of something that they're not accustomed to doing. Um, but for Nason, it definitely was not um, workable for us at all. Um, I got to tell you, though, a big thank you and shout out to New Jersey Regional Day, which Michelle was at the helm for many years. She was they the principal there. Right. They did a phenomenal job in reaching out and working with me as a parent to make sure that Nasans continued to get his needs met um, from speech to OT to actually doing some of the daily living skills that he needed and some of the educational needs. But I was very fortunate um, in this instance because um, Nasans also gets outside ABA and we did not miss a beat. Um, through COVID, he's continued to get his 20 hours of service. Thank God my ABA therapist lived around the corner. So um, we, we had a lot of support um, for him, but the remote learning was definitely not going to work for him. By the way, if you just joined us, we're talking about the impact of COVID-19 on the autism community. Michelle Adubato, Dr. Suzanne Buchanan, and Nadine Wright Arbubakar joining us. <clears throat> By the way, to disclose, the Northward Center is a supporter of what we do, particularly in the area of autism awareness. Susan, let me come back to you. Is it true that, that people who are dealing with COVID, excuse me, people dealing with autism are more likely to get COVID or is that a, mis a misnomer? Well, I think you know the research is still emerging on all of that, but there do seem to be a lot of higher risk behaviors like I described before, like standing closer to other people, not wearing masks, all that. So. Um, so yes, it is, you know, the, the findings are certainly trending in that direction. It's been difficult um, from a research perspective to separate out individuals with autism, like with and without intellectual disabilities. Sometimes people with all developmental disabilities are put into one kind of research category, 
but um, but you know it, it's you know common sense would say that there's there's more risk. Michelle, go back to the uh, you know the the whole question. Nadine mentioned the Chromebooks. Put the Chromebooks in perspective. First of all, what are we talking about? Why is it relevant to this discussion? And they're not cheap. No, they're not. And and I and I would uh, agree with Nadine that. You know, the overall feeling that it's been very, very difficult for people with disabilities to uh, do virtual learning. I just did want to point out that there has been some instances where that that it hasn't been as bad. Now, that being said, um, you know, Chromebooks were the number one thing that from a technology standpoint that, you know, was the easiest thing to use, but it's not so easy to get. And especially when the pandemic hit. I mean, we, we were waiting for months and months. So, you know, we had to beg companies, you know, to give us, you know, and we were able to get donations and, and all of our uh, Center for Autism clients, a Chromebook. And we have still been virtual um, Center for Autism, which is to me an extended learning situation. So, you know, I did, I was the principal of Regional Day School, and I'm so proud of Regional Day School that they've- Tell everyone what Regional Day School is, and every, not everyone watching in New Jersey and surrounding so, states know exactly what it is. So Regional Day School is a uh, special needs school, uh, one of the few that are still around, and we do need them, uh, that are just geared towards people with autism, um, ages five to 21. And I was very proud to run that school for over 20 years with our leadership team. And the bottom line is they're right in the heart of it. But what happens after 21? And that's, you know, the same type of situation that we were in at Center for Autism. So Center for Autism really is an extension, if for lack of a better word. Um, with sometimes they call it the regional day college, you know, like they go off and because, well, because number one, age wise, Michelle, help people understand. The government has certain regulations. Uh, I don't aging out is a funny term. What does aging out in the context of this conversation actually mean? So aging out of the educational system means twenty one and over. So so what what's supposed to happen? Well, at it depends on it depends on where you are and where you live. Unfortunately, because some people could call it falling off the cliff. And, um, and in many places that happens, that's why the Center for Autism um, was founded, because there really wasn't any place for students and uh, people with autism in our Newark area, greater Newark area to go after 21. Um, but we're having the same type of issues in terms of COVID. We are now having the discussion, like we've got everyone a Chromebook, thank you, that's wonderful. Um, by the way, 100% of our staff have been vaccinated. This pandemic has shown this in our community. We are so interdependent upon each other um, that you can't solely make a decision. And I think people need to understand this. When we make a decision whether to vaccinate or not, okay, we're not just making a decision for ourselves. We're making, a, I can give an example. We cannot open and we want to open. We cannot open the Center, for Center for Autism right now. You because can't. Of As we take, you can't. We cannot. Michelle, More just Michelle, there's a time issue today, here. So, Michelle, Suzanne, there's been a, there's up, been a change. Just today, the State just Division today. of Developmental Disabilities issued reopen, updated reopening guidelines that 
allows programs to open, but uses the COVID index to determine the capacity. Okay. So and if you're in an urban, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Ready? If you're in an urban area, it's not good because we're on that higher end color. And you uh, are there. You're in an urban area. And, we're orange and, red. Okay. And let me ask you, Nadine, what happens? Hmm, this is so interesting. For you, what is the message you would want to send? to those watching right now on public television, other platforms, but primarily public broadcasting, who are not dealing directly with having a family member on the autism spectrum, but, but are empathetic and want to care, what could they do? How could they be helpful? Um, just to piggyback off of Michelle again, Chromebooks was a hot commodity for a lot of our families. Um, we were not ready for the pandemic. I think that um, it gave us a wake-up call for our school districts and our communities because my thought process is that, first of all, we were behind the technology um, hardball, so to speak, because when this pandemic happened, there should have been a Chromebook in each of those schools that should have come home with those children um, when the pandemic hit. Um, and who should have provided not, them? I'm I think sorry. the school districts have an obligation, and they should have provided one because each and every student should have had one. And unfortunately, in, in some urban inner cities, they fell short and children with special needs were kind of left out of the loop. Nason's right. place um, was in the midst of ensuring that we got as many Chromebooks out as we possibly could. Um, and we're a small nonprofit grassroots. You know, I'm so thankful for the donations that came in because not only did we have to get Chromebooks, you now had to realize these children were taken out of their day-to-day -day school settings. Parents didn't have the same items that the school districts had for their children. So we had to buy sensory items to get into some of those homes so that those children had some type of normalcy. Those who could um, do the remote learning, we had to provide, we provided trampolines, we provided sensory items, we provided balls, we provided chairs, we provided desks that made it comfortable. We did whatever we could. But, but nonprofits led that. Got about, I'm sorry, so sorry, I got about a minute and a half left. So nonprofits provided that. Michelle, was there corp, uh, corporate and or philanthropic support for the Chromebooks? Yes, yes there was. Um, we were able to work with the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey. They've been very generous with us and up and like very quick. Very right. quick to respond. So, so the, the, the foundation community supporting not-for-profits directly who are providing direct services to those on the autism spectrum. That's a key to this. So government, real quick, got a minute left. What's the role of state and or federal government in this? Michelle, go. Got 20 seconds. Go. Um, to support the nonprofits. What does so that mean? Direct well, dollars? Absolutely. Because uh, it gets truly fun. When we talk about the funnel down approach, it is the nonprofit. It's nonprofit that can help grassroots uh, programs like Nadine's, which we have. And so if you want to funnel the money correctly and directly, you want to go through nonprofits that are at the core of every community. Did the stimulus package have money going directly to the autism community? The federal, the Biden stimulus package, is there direct money going to the causes that you just, to the needs and the services you just laid out? I don't, I don't know if Suzanne wants to answer Suzanne, that. Suzanne, real quick, I haven't is there seen money direct directly there? There are some stimulus payments right. going to individuals 16 and over, and there are billions of dollars being poured into home and community-based services. How that actually funnels down to the right. local level and to the individual family remains to be seen. Who's in control of the money? Federal and state government. Mm. So the government's 
the federal and state government ultimately decide what gets to certain nonprofits or not, correct, Suzanne? Correct. I, I think what Suzanne is saying is there hasn't been a direct fund. There hasn't been a direct okay. connection yet. Right. And well, I just I'll like to pick what. up what Michelle said about getting vaccinations. A few seconds. Um, Go ahead. We have a special needs clinic with the Visiting Nurse Association of Central Jersey that has not only special accommodations, but what I would call intensive special accommodations. And we encourage anyone to go to our website at autismnj.org to learn more about getting vaccinated. We'll put that your website up. Yes, Michelle. I said four times. This is what happened in our family dinner table. I say we got to go and she say something else. You got go, Michelle. Real quick. It's not what you do. It's not what I do. It's what we do together. And that's what we've learned. By the way, everyone's website's been out throughout this entire program. Go to find out more information. This will not, I promise, be the last conversation about the impact of COVID on the autism community. So complex. Uh, Michelle, Suzanne, and Adina, I want to thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Stay with us. We'll be right back. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, and follow us on Twitter at steveadubato. I'm Miles, and this is what I work for, to be my best for them and for me, in body and in mind. I need a health insurer that helps me get the care I need for both, that has mental health professionals that I can talk to when I need to, because when I feel strong and secure, so do they. This is my life, and this is how Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey works for me. We're honored to be joined by United States Congressman Donald Payne, Jr., the 10th Congressional District. Congressman, good to see you. Good to see you. This is part of a special series we're doing that honors African-American leaders, not only in the state of New Jersey, but across the nation, some of whom are still with us. Some um, are gone, but not forgotten, if you will. And one of them, and I said this to the congressman in a previous interview, at the top of that list is his dad, his late father, United States Congressman Donald Payne. I'm going to get this right, Donald Payne, Sr., um, the first African-American to represent the state of New Jersey in the United States Congress. Correct, Congressman? Yes, that's correct. Um, chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus from 1995 to 97. He expanded educational opportunities, making college more affordable through the College Opportunity Act in 1991, Urban Schools America Act in 1993. Um, let me ask you this, as we show some pictures of you and your dad, why First of all, he replaced an icon in the United States Congressman, Peter W. Rodino, who chaired the Watergate impeachment proceedings against um, disgraced President Richard Nixon. Your dad becoming a member of Congress in New Jersey, so important for so many reasons. What did it mean to you, Congressman? Well, Steve, it was, um, it was uh, quite an accomplishment um, for a... Um, man that had worked so hard for people all of his life. Uh, you mentioned that he was the first African-American um, congressman from the state of New Jersey. He was also the first African-American um, uh, to preside over the presidency of the YMCA's of the Americas. 
And um, he was the youngest at uh, 33, I believe he was. Yep. And um, so, I mean, uh, you know, he just had a, a, a natural care about people and, um, and making their lives better. Uh, so I was able to watch this process that um, he originally thought about running in 1972. He finally decided to run uh, in uh, 1980. That's right. And um, he was unsuccessful. And um, he, then again, he then ran again in 86, once again was unsccessful. But in yeah. 1988, he, um, he, he got he was able to win. Steve, it was a real lesson in my life about watching someone that had a goal, do what they could do to attain it, not be successful, pull back, look at what they did, and move forward again. So it was it was really was really my first true example of watching someone have a goal and doing everything to attain it. And it was such a life lesson that um, was really amazing for me. And I'll I'll never I'll never forget that process. And you know, Congressman, you and I grew up in similar homes in certain ways and very different homes in, in other ways. But our dads were not only friends, but interacted with each other in the political arena. They were classmates at Barringer High School, quote, back in the day, really back in the day. And I, I used to hear about your dad in our home all the time and the kind of campaign he ran again and again to win that congressional seat and the kind of congressman he was. But what I'm curious about, from your perspective, is his commitment to public service, to making a difference, particularly at that time when it was so incredibly difficult for African-American um, people who chose to be in politics in a white, older, male-dominated world. Beyond persistence and perseverance, what did he teach you about the importance of service? That there was nothing greater than to serve uh, your fellow man, and that if you're in the position to make the quality of someone's life better, then it's your obligation to do it. And that's that's the model that I followed in um, following him into public service. He was such a great role model, Steve, that um, why wouldn't I want to try to be like him and do the things that I saw him do? Because I saw the outcomes. I saw the difference that it made in people's lives. And so I just wanted to try to continue to do those things that I saw him do because I know what it it has meant to different people. And the people that, you know, on his passing came up to me and the stories that they shared with me um, was just, you know, so rewarding and, um, you know, uh, just, just really gave me a um, consoling um, feeling at a time where I was very devastated. Um, during that time, Steve, when he passed, you know, you naturally received condolence letters from, you know, dignitaries and people all over the world uh, for him because of his work. Uh, I got a letter from the president of South Sudan. And um, he was very involved in, the Af in Africa, very involved in yes, that region, very, very much so. And it really epitomized um, 
for me in a nutshell, the, the work that he had done and what he meant to people. You know, you got the, the normal, you know, my apologies, sorry, sorry to say. And then his PS was, if it was not for your father, my country would not exist. And that was, that really kind of wrapped it up in a nutshell for me. Congressman Donald Payne Sr., a giant in Congress, in New Jersey, and the nation. I want to thank you so much, Congressman, not just for your service, but also sharing um, your perspective on your father and the great impact he's had on so many. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you. I'm Steve Adubato. We thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by PSENG, the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, University Hospital, Prudential Financial, Summit Health, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, New Jersey Sharing Network, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and by Rutgers University Newark. Promotional support provided by NJ Biz and by CIANJ and Commerce Magazine. I'm Miles, and this is what I work for to be my best for them and for me, in body and in mind. I need a health insurer that helps me get the care I need for both, that has mental health professionals that I can talk to when I need to, because when I feel strong and secure, so do they. This is my life. And this is how Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey works for me.